Hello, this is World Focus from Brussels. My name is Svein Helgason. China's military, the People's Liberation Army, aims to be world-class by mid-century, equal to the United States military. The PLA has already added massive capabilities, such as enlarging the Navy, and is also preparing for intelligentized warfare through developing and analyzing AI, artificial intelligence. During a conference on 2nd of October, organized by the Center for Military Studies at the University of Copenhagen, I interviewed Brigadier General Oleg Werner, who returned home late summer from Beijing, where he had been the Danish military attaché for the past four years. He sees major changes in the posture and strategy of the PLA, which is now focused on global reach, while also being able to fight and win potential wars in the region, for example over Taiwan. That, of course, adds to an already tense China-U.S. relationship. One potential flashpoint is the island of Taiwan, which China claims as its own. According to Chinese state media, President Xi warned President Biden, U.S. support for Taiwan would be like playing with fire. The spotlight is back on the Indo-Pacific region as China prepares to add more military might to its navy. The Asian superpower is expected to launch two multi-role naval warships, adding muscle to its new generation of aircraft carrier strike groups. My name is Ole Kvenu, I'm a brigadier of the Danish army and I served as a defense attaché from Denmark to China for four years, from 2019 to this August 1st. If you would uh, summarize your lessons from being in Beijing for four years in this job, what would they be? I think when I started, um, the PLA was uh, reasonably open. We could meet with uh, Chinese interlocutors and have meaningful academic and professional conversations. COVID uh, happened and uh, the PLA uh, took COVID hostage and closed off all communication with us. So there's one thing that I fear about is the fact that, um, that the Chinese military does not talk to any potential adversaries anymore. Not us from Denmark, not our allies, not even the US. It's simply closed off. There's been a lot of discussion here on, for example, uh, Chinese military strategy, and you've also commented on that. How has that evolved over the last decades and years? Well, what we've seen over the last decade is a fundamental change to both uh, the PLA's or Chinese self-perception identity, if you will, but also to both their posture and their, their, their strategy. Up until roughly 2014, um, the PLA, the People's Liberation Army, was entirely focused on the army and on self-defense of the Chinese motherland. What we've seen over the last two changes to its military strategy in 14 and 19 is a um, shift in focus, now focusing on uh, especially the maritime but also the air domain and less on the uh, the army domain and less on territorial defense so what we see china moving to is a uh, a military with global reach a military that is focused on uh, being able to fight and win local and regional wars such as over taiwan for example uh, and that has been a fundamental change also to the way that uh, the PLA itself perceives its, uh, it, its posture. It's now very much focused on creating global reach 
and dominating the security complex of, of the region. We also see China uh, increasingly assertively stepping up its military operations both in the South China Sea and in the East China Sea. So we see a Chinese military acting with lots, lot, lot more confidence and uh, with a lot more assertiveness, threatening its neighbors, using military power to coerce neighbors into accepting Chinese, for example, Chinese territorial claims in the South China Sea. Is that backed up by competence of the uh, Chinese military? Uh, if you would perhaps go into a little bit the build-up that's happened in capabilities and also uh, the focus on AI, artificial intelligence, uh, in that build-up. Yeah, uh, what we've seen is a huge, huge build-up. China has been, the Chinese Navy has been... Um, floating uh, new naval vessels with a pace that we have not seen any major power out of a major war do. So they have now, in terms of numbers, the largest navy in the world. And they are keeping up that pace of fielding new uh, naval vessels, just as an example. That is not to say that uh, it is the strongest, the strongest navy in the world. It's not. Um, not even by tonnage. You, the U.S. heavily outweighs Uh, the uh, the Chinese Navy, but in terms of, terms of, of number, it is. But when you ask about competence, um, it's obvious that that China has not fought a war uh, since the Korean War, um, and that was largely an infantry war. So China does not have the experience, the uh, the, the battle experience of a war fighting major power. We don't know. Um, how and when that competence will develop but i'm sure that it will but it, it, it does take time they've got two aircraft carrier battle groups now but they are they're not they're still developing their competence to actually use them so if you ask me about Chi chinese readiness to engage for example in a war over taiwan they are not ready yet but they will they will become ready um, i'm absolutely confident that that will happen And talking about that, that of course is the, you might say, elephant in the room. That's what people are thinking about in the West, in the US, in Australia, all over the place. You say they're not ready, but do they have the ambition to do that? Because of course that's the political stated aim to reunify Taiwan and China as the language goes. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Um, They, the, the Chinese political leadership itself has uh, set 2027 as the target line for when the PLA must be ready uh, to fight and win a local or regional war, and that is Taiwan. Um, so I would expect that by 2027, China will be ready. But I don't think that a military option in terms of invading Taiwan is a preferred option, neither for the, for the political leadership nor for the uh, the PLA, simply because it's it's going to be so dangerous, so risky, and the outcome is far from certain. So I would expect a scenario like the one we saw after uh, Speaker Nancy Pelosi's visit to, to Taiwan, with a military blockade, naval and air blockade of uh, Taiwan in an attempt to seal off Uh, U.S. and its allies from being able to reach Taiwan, but I would not see a major war erupt immediately in terms of, of China actually invading Taiwan. What I fear, though, is that the increased military activity, largely on the side of, of, of China, 
with it carries the risks of accidents, of human faults, of faulty decisions. Um, an accident like uh, two naval vessels uh, colliding, etc. And the Chinese are acting quite aggressively in the South China Sea and indeed also over Taiwan in the East China Sea. So the risk of accidents happening, spurring a uh, an escalation of, of, of conflict, is absolutely there. And for my money, over the next five years, that is the biggest, biggest risk. Uh, President Joe Biden... Uh has the unusual trait of a politician to actually answer truthfully, perhaps, questions when reporters ask them. And he got a question from a reporter, simply asked, will you come to the defense of Taiwan? Mm -hmm. And he basically said yes. And then the White House went into damage control and, and, you know, kind of was trying to defuse the situation, so to speak. Will, in your opinion, the U.S. come to the defense of Taiwan if uh, push comes to shove? I have no idea. What I do know is that, that uh, the, uh, the biggest uh, US ally, Japan, is now, has now changed its defense posture to also rely on deterrence and st- counter-strike uh, capabilities. And Japan, as does Korea, Australia, New Zealand, enjoys an uh, individually tailored partnership program with NATO. So um, I'm confident that the US and Japan would be engaged in the defense of Taiwan if push comes to shove. Um, But I don't know what other European allies would be able to do. I'm quite confident that the the ambition would be there, but just being able to deploy that far and secure logistics so as to actually make a difference in a war, I have no idea whether that's doable. At this stage, my analysis would be that it's not simply because we don't have the agreements with Japan, Australia, South Korea, etc. in place so as to secure logistics. Um, but, but whether we would be able to, to do that in, in a t- five-year time frame, that's an open question. And then there was this, of course, agreement, AUKUS uh, agreement, um, including uh, Australia and, and the US. So look at Australia. Um, they, of course, follow China closely. They're in the, so to speak neighborhood with all those far distances in, in, in this part of the world. In Australia, it's important to also look at their relationship with China. Yeah, there are, there are I guess, two developments in, in, uh, in, in, in uh, sort of alliance patterns in the region that, that's worth um, sort of looking at. One is AUKUS, um, which is largely a political arrangement um, based on uh, or focused on uh, capacity building rather than uh, alliance structures. Um, but it does play a role and it's important, especially in the Chinese analysis. They see AUKUS as a U.S. extended threat. The other alliance pattern is the triangle between uh, South Korea, Japan and the U.S., which over the last many decades uh, has been hampered by a truly bad relationship um, because of, of, of uh, the, the war against the Japan, Japanese imperialism um, between South Korea and, uh, and Japan. One of the things that President Biden has actually managed to do is to, to settle that dispute between South Korea and Japan, and we now see a, an alliance forming that is not 
only bilateral US South Korea US Japan and then some intelligence sharing between the two it's a true triangular um, alliance pattern that's that's forming um, so I guess that is the two most important developments in terms of, of sort of grand strategy in uh, in, in the uh, Indo-Pacific region. The relationship between China and Russia has also been uh, addressed here at this conference. Uh, how far it goes, how deep it goes, or is it just political statements at summits? What's your assessment? Well, my, my assessment would be that it's the latter, that it is... Um, a political arrangement largely based on uh, diplomatic rhetoric rather than um, something carrying a military depth in terms of cooperation and interoperability. What we've seen them do is support each other politically and make showcase exercises so as to support the argument that we are truly strategic partners. Um, But in terms of military integration, it is no way near an alliance or uh, something that would uh, that would uh, end up with security guarantees uh, guarantees between the two sides, etc. So um, my assessment is definitely that um, China needs Russia much less than Russia needs China, and they are quite suspicious of. Uh, Russia's role in in the war in Ukraine um, if if I were to be very blunt um, I think China has now realized that um, Russia is just as much a problem and a challenge as it is a true political friend and talking about the war in Ukraine China's military the PLA is closely monitoring and studying that war looking for lessons oh yes indeed There are two things that I think is are worth observing. One is that uh, that China, as such, um, is really, really reluctant to support its um, its strategic partner Russia with um, weaponry, with uh, military capabilities that could be seen by the West as breaching um, our um, our ban on uh, on, on uh, military arms, etc., to Russia. China is quite wary. Uh, or reluctant in its physical support to uh, to to uh, to Russia, uh, claiming that uh, it remains it maintains neutrality. Um, when China then looks at how Russia's war against Ukraine has developed, they are taking some very very painful lessons. One of the lessons is in terms of doctrine and command structure, because one of the things that that Russia is really faltering in uh, in doing is uh, being able to employ its forces with mission command um, they have shipped i don't know how many generals to the front to be able to command even battalions simply because their command structure does not work china has a similar post-soviet command structure but they have it on steroids because they have introduced or maintained a political commissar at each and every command level. So a military commander cannot take a decision without approval of the political commissar. And that, by virtue, pushes up in a stovepipe military decisions that need to be taken very fast but end up being taken very slow or not at all, simply because it has to be pushed up in the command chain. That's one of the most crucial military lessons or doctrinal lessons that uh, the PLA is is taking out of of the war. Then, of course, um, the PLA is also 
because of the partnership with Russia, taking in a lot of lessons learned in terms of how peers would fight. Um, I mean, uh, equal um, e equal competitors would fight with um, military, military equipment that uh, that largely comes out of NATO and the West. So battle damage assessment, assessment of uh, Western capabilities is something that the Chinese are studying carefully and learning a lot from. We mentioned uh, AI, artificial intelligence, and there's a lot of ambition um, if we think about the wars of the future within the PLA and the China system, so to speak, to uh, deploy artificial intelligence. How much do you think that will change warfare in the future? I think... To take an example, one of the things that, that uh, the Chinese Navy is looking carefully at is the asymmetric Ukrainian war against the Russian Navy that is being fought with uh, little drones, underwater drones, um, air drones, etc., um, largely keeping the Russian Navy in harbor at, at naval bases. Um, they're studying that very carefully, and I'm confident that the, uh, the Chinese focus, which was already on AI and uh, automization, etc., uh, before the war, that uh, that focus has, uh, has been sharpened and that we will see uh, AI introduced into uh, a lot of weapon systems, a lot of platforms. But I'm doubtful whether the Chinese would be self-confident enough to actually introduce AI into decision-making. And that's what we should be looking at when they introduce AI into low tactical decision-making, like engaging a target, identifying a target and firing on it, etc. We can expect to see that. But at the operational level, and especially at the strategic level, where the human factor is uh, currently very, very crucial, um, I would doubt whether, at least in the short term, we'll see AI introduced in the, in the PLA. Finally, China was for the first time mentioned in the strategic concept of NATO in 2022. And um, that stance is that China has coercive policies uh, and is a, a challenge to uh, NATO security and values. It's not described as an enemy, more as a competitor, and this was kind of reaffirmed in the Vilnius summit this summer. So how do you see and what would be your advice as a retired general to uh, NATO uh, top officials in Brussels how to engage China? I think... Um First of all, China sees NATO as an ex extended instrument for the U.S. They do not see the U.K., they do not see Germany, France, whoever deploys Holland, whoever deploys forces, naval forces into the Indo-Pacific region, they do not see them as anything but a, an, an extended um, proxy for the, for the U.S. China was furious over the fact that uh, that Japan was invited to the Vilnius summit and participated at a high level. Um, so China definitely sees NATO going into the Indo-Pacific. But conversely, I think one of the things that we should think carefully about in Brussels is um, our political narratives. Our strategic communication towards China needs to be managed very, very carefully. When we come out to identify uh, China as a challenge, it's seen as a, um, as a threat from uh, the side of, of Beijing. So 
if we are to manage our relationship between NATO and China, we need to do it very carefully and we should especially be focused on our strategic communication. Retired uh, Brigadier General Ole Kverno, uh, former uh, military attaché for Denmark in Beijing. Thank you for speaking to World Focus from Brussels. It's been a pleasure, sir. Thank you.